Welcome to Hillside Baptist Chapel's weekly Bible study. Please join Dr. Steve Wood every week where we can all collectively grasp a better understanding of God through His Word. This podcast will be published every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Contact information is as follows. Dr. Steve Wood, Pastor, phone or message at 6438-6541, email at Steve rwood002 at gmail.com. Prayer requests can be sent directly to hbcprayerlist2020 at gmail.com. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to our Wednesday evening Bible study. We're very thankful that you're joining us tonight. And uh, uh, it's uh, great that we have several that are following us on our Wednesday evening podcast, and we're very thankful that you're doing that. Uh, we have progressed to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in our uh, study of 1 Corinthians. And uh, we're going to be reading verses 23 through 26 tonight as we get started. So if you would take your Bibles and turn with us and, and uh, uh, we'll look at these verses of Scripture together. And then I'll make some comments about them. And uh, we're also going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 53. So uh, you might make note of that, and we're going to be turning to that chapter and um, uh, looking at a few verses there as well. But right now we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so very thankful tonight for your word that we can read, that we can understand, that we can comprehend and be able to follow in our lives. And this passage of scripture tonight that we're reading about, the institution of the Lord's Supper, we're going to be looking at some things that are helpful to us in our daily lives as we think about these things. And I pray that your blessings would be upon each one. And I pray that it won't be long until we as a church at Hillside will be able to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. This is something that we have intended to do, as you know, Father, soon. And then we were shut down and we were praying that real soon this restrictions would ease up and we would be able to have the Lord's Supper in our services again. Again, Father, thank you for the opportunity to talk about these things tonight, and I pray your blessings on each one that's listening. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, tonight as we look at this, I think that there are individuals who lead these verses of Scripture and they don't really think about the context. 
They're just looking at the facts. They're just looking at what's said and never see the meaning that's behind the facts. They only see the literal, never the symbolic. Yet, as we think about Jesus and His life and Him living on this earth, there have been many times when Jesus spoke in symbolic terms. He used things like door, light, bread, to symbolize other things and for us to understand more deeply what He's trying to say. So, using many symbols to be able to get across the spiritual, the sacred truths, are things that we need to look at tonight as we're looking at this particular passage of Scripture. Before Jesus ascended, He left us with a picture of His atoning work on the cross. You see, as He gave this supper, it was a symbol. We call it the Lord's Supper. It's a service in which we remember the most important act that Jesus did for us. The Lord's Supper has a special significance for us today and it has in times past in churches throughout history. One theologian noted that in Jesus' final moments with His disciples, He didn't lecture. He didn't give them rules to follow. But instead, He gave them a meal or a symbol of a meal. He was giving this at the end of the Passover, a meal that Jews still celebrate today. And, and the Passover has many significance about Christ. Christ is, is seen in, in the Passover, the Seder, in a way that you can't see Him in many other things in Jewish history and Jewish life. But He is there. And then at the end of that supper, He instituted the Lord's Supper. And we have a picture in that of redemption. Jesus, the Son of God, is the bread of life who was broken for the sins of the world. And we remember His life, His death, in a very earthly sort of way at a table. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, it says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body. The Lord's Supper and the times of the early Christians many times was celebrated after a meal. Much like what Jesus did in instituting the Lord's Supper at the end of the Passover. Well, a lot of times they would have a fellowship meal and then they would celebrate the Lord's Supper at the end of that meal. A common meal that all of them participated in. But in the case of the Corinthians, this is exactly where the problem emerged. In Roman culture, and you remember Corinth was a Roman colony, social conventions 
dictated that those of highest rank and social standing should be served the largest portions, have the better seat in the assembly, and a better quality of food. And instead of challenging those social conventions, the Corinthians capitulated. They've been guilty of accepting wholesale the message of culture rather than reinterpreting their worldview according to the scriptures in many instances in this particular book that we're studying. The Apostle Paul has rebuked them on different occasions for different things that the Corinthians are doing that is not according to the way that God wanted them to do them. As these Corinthians gathered for their supper and then for the Lord's Supper, the rich were humiliating the poor by not sharing their food with them. The divisions in the church, which the Apostle Paul has been boldly confronting throughout this entire letter, were, fail were failing along socioeconomic lines. The situation was so dire that the Apostle says that worshiping and their gatherings did more harm than good. They would better be better off if they just stayed home. I hope that never can be said about our assemblies and our church. Paul brings them back to the gospel, to the message of Jesus Christ and His crucifixion. The new covenant community is called to unity and to selfless sacrifice following in the footsteps of Jesus. Thinking about what he did during his lifetime here on earth. So the Lord's Supper is an occasion for remembering and reflecting on their call to live as a body of Christ. To recognize the body of the Lord has a double meaning. First, we acknowledge the sacrifice of our Savior. Second, we recognize that we are part of the body, the church, in the practice of partnering as we participate in the Lord's Supper. On a personal level, level each of us must try to reconcile our grievances with one another in the local church before we celebrate it. This is one of the things that Jesus talked to them about. And the Apostle Paul is explaining in his interpretation of the Lord's Supper to them. They needed to bury the hatchet, so to speak. They needed to end the quarrels. But on a more global level, the Lord's Supper also is an invitation to think of others, to think of our brothers and sisters in Christ here at the table, in our church, maybe in our city, even around the world. The things that people are going through, things that they are experiencing that maybe we're not experiencing. We must not be like the Corinthians, wallowing in our affluence without thought to Christians in distress. Could the Lord's Supper provoke 
in us a greater generosity to those in need around us and around the globe. Churches where I pastored participated in a benevolence offering at the end of the Lord's Supper. Every church where I pastored, I've asked them to take up a benevolent offering at the end of that service. And I think it fit. I think that's appropriate. Our church, our home church in Bryan, Texas, does that very same thing. And we're going to be doing that in our church here at Hillside when the time comes, when we're able to do that. Note, back as we look at these scriptures, the fundamental truths that this event teaches. In fact, there's three of them. We're going to be looking at those tonight. First of all is verse 26. When we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death. But notice the Apostle Paul is telling us that he had received from the Lord instructions and he's now passing those on to us because the Lord Jesus on the same night in, when he was, uh, in which he was betrayed took the bread and broke it. You see, he is talking about Jesus' death. The same night that he was betrayed, the same night when he was crucified or going to be uh, ready for crucifixion, ready to be broken, he took the bread and he broke it as a symbol of his broken body. And then the cup as a symbol of his spilt blood, the blood that he gave as an atonement for our sins. So one of the things that we see in the Lord's Supper is the idea that he died for us. He died for every individual that they might have life, that they might have salvation. There are many prophecies in the Old Testament that speak of this. Many prophecies that spoke of Jesus Christ coming and something about his life and what he would do. But one of the Old Testament passages that speaks of his death is Isaiah 53. And I'd like to read part of that tonight as we think about the Lord's Supper, as we think about thinking about Jesus' death. Isaiah says this, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him, 
and by his wounds we're healed. Now I could go on and read more of the scripture there, but you see, it's talking about Jesus Christ, isn't it? It's talking about him coming, living on this earth, and then dying for our sins. And then the second fundamental truth that we see there is that He arose from the grave. You see, you can't talk about the death of Christ without thinking about His resurrection. He didn't stay in the grave, did He? He arose from the grave. And uh, when we sing on Easter Sunday, a lot of times we'll sing that song that talks about Him arising from the grave. Up from the grave He arose. You remember that song. I'm not going to sing it tonight. I know you're thankful, but I'm not. But He rose. The resurrection proved His death was part of God's plan. When God raised Him from the dead, He was placing His stamp of approval on the finished work of the cross. Christianity's founder is not dead. If Jesus did not rise from the grave, nothing matters, Donald McCulley says. But if He did, nothing else matters. Let me read that to you again. McCulley says, If Jesus did not rise from the grave, nothing matters. But if He did, nothing else matters. Certainly, He arose from the grave. And He is the one that has eternal life for all those that would come and trust Him and believe in Him for the life that He wants to give them. And then, lastly, in our thoughts tonight, the thing that is predominant in this Scripture reading, I think, is that it's not just talking about Him coming to die for us. It's not just talking about Him coming to give His body and His blood. But He did that, but He's coming again. He's, he didn't leave this earth to be gone forever. He said, if I go away, I will come again. Do you remember Him saying that? And verse 26 of our Scripture reading says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. He is coming again. At His first coming, He died. At His second coming, He will come to judge, to reign, and to rule. In conclusion tonight, what do you see when you eat the bread and drink the fruit of the vine. Think about that for just a moment. What do you think about? Rather than division, that should bring about unity in the church as we unite around the meaning of the Lord's Supper. The meaning of what Jesus did. And so as we end our study tonight, and we ask Dr. Fred to come and give his part. Think about what it means for us to be his children. And how that we need to be concerned about others. And we need to be reaching out to them.
Father, we thank you tonight for your scriptures that teach us how we should live before others and how that we ought to honor you in everything that we do. And especially as we participate in celebrating the Lord's Supper when we do, the scriptures tell us that we're proclaiming Jesus' death we're proclaiming His resurrection. We're proclaiming that He's coming again. And Father, we look forward to the time when we'll meet Him in the air. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stay tuned for a short weekly editorial with Face to Face with Dr. Fred. The scripture verse, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not understanding, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. My twin brother, Frank, and I were in Vero Beach, Florida for spring training. It was 1955 Dodger Town. It was our rookie year with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Frank was an ordained Baptist minister. As was our custom, we were in a Baptist church on that Wednesday evening before Easter Sunday. Dr. Rogers, pastor of the First Baptist Church, Vero Beach, said, Folks, we will not have Bible study tonight. We will just have prayer. He continued, our young minister, who would be the pastor of our new mission that we were supposed to open this Sunday, will not be coming. As you know, some of you have knocked on doors. We have advertised in the paper and on radio. We must pray that God will send us a man of God to preach at our new mission this Easter Sunday, which is few days away. The young man was to lead the music also. So they prayed. After everyone had left, Frank and I talked to Dr. Rogers. I said, my brother Frank is a Baptist preacher. Then Frank said, Fred can lead the music. Dr. Rogers was stunned for a moment, just looking at us. Then he said, why did you boys not speak up? We spent all our time praying. Because I was to lead the singing, I had to meet the lady who was to play the piano. Her name was Mrs. Buckingham. Later, we found out that she and her husband owned all the orange groves in the area. I was not into big-time music music. In high school, we sang in our North High School Singers. I enjoyed singing the gospel hymns at our church. That was it. I went to the Buckingham's magnificent home after spring training workout that Friday evening. Mrs. Buckingham 
was sitting by the piano as her husband opened the door. After greetings, she said, Young man, the first song will be this. She immediately plunged her hands on the piano and sang a song that I had never heard before in my life. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. I was standing by the piano in unbelief. Let's sing it with me, which I attempted to do, but not to her satisfaction. We will sing it again. And she once again played it diligently. Finally, I said, Mrs. Buckingham, what about the old rugged cross and amazing grace? And she laughed. We will sing them, but we are going to sing this song first. And she meant that over and over and still over again. We sang the song, and to this day, I know that song. Easter Sunday, Frank and I arrived the 30 minutes early at the Buckinghams. We were somewhat uneasy, but it was an opportunity to serve the Lord. When we arrived at the church, well, what church? It was covered in thick plastic, held up by some iron-type things, and of course, it had hard-made benches and a dirt floor. At first, no one showed up. Mrs. Buckingham said, don't worry, these type folks come late, but they will be on time. And sure enough, the place was filled and on time. The first song was, of course, My Lord Knows the Way Through the Wilderness. All I Have to Do is Follow. Frank preached, I led singing, all during spring training for six weeks. We did the same thing. Soon, my very close friend, the great ball player Don Demeter, who later became a Baptist preacher, came with several other ball players. When word got around at the Mission Church that the Brooklyn Dodger ball players were there, there was not room in that large tent. So they sat everywhere. And many during that time were led to the Lord. Today, it continues as the Rosewood Baptist Church in Vero Beach, Florida. The land and the building supplies was donated by the Buckinghams. When I get to heaven, I will be looking for Mr. and Mrs. Buckingham. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. My Lord knows the way to the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. This concludes HBC's weekly Bible study. Please join us every Wednesday for Bible study at 7 p.m. Thank you, and God bless. Contact information is as follows. 
Dr. Steve Wood, Pastor, phone or message at 6438-6541, email at steverwood002 at gmail.com. Prayer requests can be sent directly to hbcprayerlist2020 at gmail.com.